Hey there. Good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want you to know that my name is Chris Townley, and I'm the student pastor around here. It is a pleasure to meet you. I know not quite formally yet because I don't know all of your names, but hopefully soon I'll memorize them. Uh, I just want you to know that today we're kicking off a mini two-week series called Ghost Stories. All right? Ghost Stories. Ooh, right? And the first installment this morning will be The Gift of the Ghost. All right? The Gift of the Ghost. Now, if anyone has maybe just some riveting, spine-tingling, scary ghost story, would you share that with us now if you have a microphone? No one? All right, well, you know, sorry about that. I guess I'll just share with you my experiences with ghost stories. Not nearly as exciting as if I had let someone stand up and share a random ghost story, but perhaps another time. All right, so the first thing you need to know about me, and this is why no one was allowed to stand up, I'm actually easily frightened by scary stories. All right, and really I'm I'm just scared of scary things in general. All right, And, and I'd imagine... That if you are a male, you're probably chuckling a little bit, like, ha ha, he's not a man. Right? But, but, you know, it's just the way it is, and I'll make you a deal. All right? If you tithe, I'll seek counseling on my lack of masculinity. All right? I'm just kidding about the counseling. Okay? So, So here you go. So when I was young, say, like, fifth grade, right, there was this certain series of books that were just, they were all the rage. Right? They were all the rage. Not the Twilight series. I'm a little bit older than that, although I may not look it. Right? And these series of books were penned by the brilliant author R.L. Stein. Right? And he had this series of books called Goosebumps. Right here. Any Goosebumps fans? Yes, a few people proudly proclaiming that they were Goosebumps fans. Thank you. Yep, Goosebumps right here. And so this is it, right? Horror stories for tweens. Right? And, and like I said, I'm not a fan of scary stories, and, and I really just don't like to get goosebumps from being frightened. Like, that's not something that appeals to me. However, at that point in my life, all my friends were reading goosebumps books. Right? And so I did something stupid, and I went out and bought my own just so I could fit in. Right? Don't tell me you've never done anything stupid to fit in. Right? And so, in the process of trying to fit in, I ended up owning one goosebumps book out of the series of something like 62 at the time, right? And, and it was this book, actually, Phantom of the Auditorium. And I know you probably can't see the cover. It is actually quite frightening. So you can stop by and see that, right? Phantom of the Auditorium. And, and I remember my 10-year-old self just laying in bed holding this book, right? Not yet opening it, but holding it and looking at it. I, w- I was afraid to just turn the first page, right? I, w- I was afraid to read it. I was afraid of being afraid I was afraid that if I started the story, like I would, I would be captured by it and that would be really scary. Right? The, the whole process was just frightening, really. And I was, I was afraid that I would have nightmares and I would dream about phantoms and ghosts. And, and it was all very traumatic, right? And, and as I thought back on my experience with Goosebumps books, right, I realized that it's directly related to my relationship with another ghost, right? the Holy Ghost ghost, all right, the, the, the Holy Spirit, right, the Spirit of God, and, and you see, like, I, I'm, that's still a little frightening, this idea of the Holy Ghost, what, what is he, because if you're like me, right, I'm completely comfortable with Jesus the human, 
Right, like that's not frightening at all. Humans are not all that otherworldly. They do not pass through walls. You know, they don't do things like that. His flesh and bone, like they're tangible and they're comforting. I can give Jesus a hug, right? Like that's, that's pretty safe. And, and then I'm comfortable with God too, right? God, the creator, God, the father, the big guy upstairs, right? He's in charge and I get that. It's like, okay, you can tell me what to do, right? And, and the two of them, Jesus and God, they're, they're pretty safe. Well, they're, they're safe-ish, right? There was this flood and, and stuff like that. But, but you, get, you get what I'm saying, right? Jesus and God, they're, they're pretty safe. They're pretty safe. It's this, this Holy Spirit, right? Especially for me, because he's so otherworldly, he seems to get forgotten or overlooked, right? Or just plain left out. And, and today, I want to I help us and I want to challenge us to invite the Holy Spirit back into our midst, right? So that we might be able to embrace the power of the Spirit that is quite possibly just resting dormant inside of us. Right? So that, that, that's what we're going to do. And, and maybe you're here and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just checking it out and you're like, hey, the journey sounded like a good place to go. Maybe, maybe today you will have the opportunity to embrace the power of the Spirit that he's waiting and longing to do in your life. So, just so you know, this journey into a relationship with the Holy Ghost is not nearly as scary as I thought it might be. It's actually a story that I'm thankful to have been captured by, and I hope that we can experience that together. But before we dive into that, I hope it's okay with you. I'd just like to pray for us. So, let's pray. God, I just pray that, that you would give us an opportunity to embrace and encounter your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray that, that we would not be afraid of what you might have for us. I pray that we would no longer neglect or forget about the Holy Spirit, God. I pray that you would give us an opportunity to embrace that power. I pray that we would not get in the way of what you might have to say to us this morning. Please speak to us clearly and make this all about you, God, in your name. Amen. All right, so before we, before we go anywhere, it's important for you to know that a lot of my studying for this message came from a book by Francis Chan called Forgotten God. Great book, and, and say everything I speak to you this morning doesn't make sense. Just go read the book, all right? So you always have a backup plan for the, for the morning. And, and so the thing we need to know before we start learning about the Holy Ghost is this. The Holy Ghost is a gift, right? And, and I think all of us would be able to say we enjoy receiving gifts. So we've already opened ourselves up a little bit this morning to what the Holy Spirit might have. But don't take my word for it that, that he's a gift. We're going to check out what it says in the Bible. So go ahead and turn to Acts 2, 38. It's on your note sheet. It's up here, right? And I'm just going to read it for us. It's Peter talking. It says this. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right, so there it is, the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, what was happening here is the beginning of the church, the capital C church, right? The beginning of a community of people living like Jesus, acting like Jesus, giving their lives to Jesus and doing it together. Right, and so the, the story that precedes this truth of the Holy Spirit being a gift is actually very important 
to what we're going to talk about. So here, here's the story. And so that the Holy Spirit had come over a bunch of people, a large group of people, right? They're these believers who were celebrating Pentecost in Jerusalem. And as the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to speak in different languages, right? Languages that they hadn't previously known, but languages that, that were the home languages of people who were visiting there. And so people started to, to hear this ruckus, right? All these people talking in different languages, and they came out to investigate what was going on, right? They're like, why are all these believers speaking in different languages? And, and so as they, as they come out there to investigate, they're, they're like, these believers are drunk, Right, they're just wasted and babbling, and we don't know what's going on. And so at that point, Peter, he jumps in, and he's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. And he gets their attention, right, this large crowd of people, and he says, they are not drunk. It is 9 o'clock in the morning and much too early for drinking. Yes, the, the Bible is hilarious. He actually says something to that effect, right? And, and so now he has their attention. He has their attention. And, and he goes on to just preach his guts out. Right, so now that he's got the attention of these people, he says, hey, you guys crucified Jesus. Right, a gutsy preaching strategy right there. He starts to tell him that. But he says, hold on, hold on. It's because God had a plan. It was so that you might be saved and redeemed. And that, that grabs a hold of them. Right, and they're, they're listening intently, and they, they want some more. And in the verse right before the one we just read, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they wanted to know, how do you respond to that? And that's when Peter replied, right? Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, that, that those very first, those early Christians, the beginning of that church, had the power of the Holy Spirit upon them, right? And, and get this. After Peter was finished, 3,000 people responded and believed at that moment, right? All initiated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be moving into a new building pretty soon, the commons at Baxter and Love. It's going to have more seating, so you will not have to sit in the bleachers back there. But maybe we can be a part of such a movement. Get your friends there. All right, that's just a little plug, right? The church though, in this, in this story, was now becoming the movement, the, the Acts Church 2, right? Acts 2 Church movement, that, this idea that, that we strive to emulate these early Christians who are completely sold out to the cause of Christ. And if that's the case, if we want to live like these people, right, in the Acts 2 Church, then we can't just skip over those beautiful words that they, they, they come out of Peter's mouth, right? Where, where he tells us, like, You've got to give your life to God, right? You, you repent and turn to God. You get baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? And that promise, that last promise, cannot be forgotten. Right? Because we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we believe, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's amazing stuff. Or you just look back at that story, it's amazing. But what do we do with it, right? Where we're like, all right, sweet gift. I always wanted a ghost. But now, what happens, right? I've got my ghost, and, and I, I don't know what to do. And I think we all ask those questions at first, and, and then all of a sudden, we forget about the Holy Spirit. Right? We, we don't know what to do with him, 
And so we just move on without him. Right? And that's why I want to help us this morning. I want to help us reclaim our pursuit of the Holy Spirit. Right? I, I want to help us find the power that rests in the Holy Spirit. And, and the whole reason that I even thought this might be an important pursuit for my own life was because, I, like, just say we began to, to open our Bibles right, and read them for the very first time, as if we had never read them before, as if we had never had any Sunday school classes as teaching us this or that. We just opened them up and we read them for the first time as if we never knew anything about the Bible. We would be absolutely convinced that the Holy Spirit was intended to be an integral and life-changing piece of our faith. Right? And so I started to read like that, and I was like, yeah, that, that's, that's probably true. And so I would say at this point of the message this morning, you may either be asleep or not yet convinced that you're missing out on anything too great. So either wake up or be convinced, because we're going to have Jesus set us straight. All right, he seemed like a pretty honest guy to me, so I just thought I'd bring him into the mix this morning. And he talks to us in John 16, 5 through 7. This is what he has to say, right? Jesus is talking. He says, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, right, because I told you Jesus was honest, now he's talking in fact. It is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate or the Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you. Right, so, so do you hear what Jesus is saying? Here, right? Because this is huge. This has massive implications for those of us who follow Jesus. Right? What he's saying is that it's to our advantage that he go away and give us the Holy Spirit as a gift. Right? He's saying we're going to be better off with the Holy Spirit. So shouldn't we then expect a great deal from the Holy Spirit? Right? And so now I read my Bible through a whole new lens. Right? And I wonder, have we greatly underestimated the necessity of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And perhaps we have, right? Perhaps. But, but at least now we know that Jesus wants us to have the Holy Spirit guiding our lives in his place. And I think as we, we realize that, we begin to realize that our life with the Holy Spirit should look radically and dramatically different than a life without the Holy Spirit, right? And, and I, I wanted to, to try and illustrate this point for us. So I got a couple friends together, one of which was my wife, and, and we decided we were going to make a video that will illustrate this point with hopefully some clarity. So here, have a look. All right. Hey, here I am, Chris Townley in two places at once. And, and I wanted to take this opportunity to, to illustrate the point that, that we're talking about today as we talk about the Holy Spirit. Right? Where we're talking about this idea that, that if we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, then our lives should in fact look different from a life without the Holy Spirit. And so, so my hope is to, to kind of make this real for you. So if you will, just imagine this. Imagine I am the worst basketball player you have ever seen. I have no ability at all. I cannot pass. I cannot shoot. I cannot dribble. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. 
I told you that I had this encounter with God where, where the Holy Spirit filled me up and gave me this amazing ability to, to shoot and to pass and to dribble, this amazing ability to play basketball. They're playing basketball. Uh, all around the we world. Uh, uh, to the beach, y'all. you knew about me before and you came to watch me play right and, and you didn't see anything different right? you you'd, you'd question that encounter unless you saw a real and noticeable difference all right so like i said say you had seen no difference from my, my basketball ability from one clip to the next right you would probably question that encounter i was telling you about. And I would say it is exactly the same with our own lives, right? If, if our lives are no different with the Holy Spirit than a life without it, then doesn't that encounter come into question? Aren't we probably missing out on something? Right? And, and along with potentially underestimating the necessity of the Holy Spirit, I believe my, myself included, that we are probably also underestimating the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? We, we think that, that the miraculous won't happen anymore. Or we think that we have to earn our favor with God. We think we're made perfect or, or right with God because of how hard we try and the, the effort that we do to make ourselves perfect. And in that process, we forget the Holy Spirit. We forget that we receive that gift. We neglect the Holy Spirit and the power that he contains. Right? And so, just so you know, like we're not the first people to ever do that, to rely on our own power and forget about the Holy Spirit. It actually happened a long time ago, and, and Paul addresses this in Galatians. So if you would, turn to Galatians 3, 2 through 5, or follow along, and this is Paul talking to the Galatians. He says, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again. Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Right, and Paul, is, he's pretty adamant in this section where, where he's talking to us, right? And it's a reminder for me that, that, that rocks my foundation and my I-can-do-anything attitude, right? We, we can't earn anything, 
Jesus already took that burden for us. He, he already took that away. And thankfully, that makes it much easier as long as we choose to embrace such a life-changing truth as that. Right? And so in the midst of our Holy Spirit neglect and, and our, our do-it-ourselves mentality, I think we're missing out on the miracles. Miracles that only the Holy Spirit can make happen. And Francis Chan, the author of the book I talked about earlier, he puts it this way in an example involving surfing. Not that many of us in Montana know anything about that, but here's what he says regardless. Sometimes I'm out in the ocean and there are no sets coming in. Sets are waves. And he says, I really don't want to paddle in. So I'll pray, God, give me one nice set, one good wave to take me back to shore. I pray because I can't make a wave and I can't ask my friends to go further out and splash to create a wave. We're powerless. That's what I feel like in church. We think we can make waves, but in reality, we're totally dependent on the Spirit. That's what we try to do, isn't it? We try and make waves that only the power of the Holy Spirit can make. Right, and all of our, our waves are different. You can probably think of some ways you're trying to make waves right now. But I have some ideas too. Maybe instead of being dependent on the Spirit, where we're just splashing around in our marriages, or as we raise kids, or in a job that's just destroying our self-esteem. Instead of being dependent on the Spirit, Maybe we're going out each weekend trying to earn our acceptance by, by maybe drinking too much or wearing too little. Right? Maybe instead of being dependent on the Spirit, we're burning another bridge with someone we love just because we thought it was important that we were right. right? And all of that wave-making and splashing around, it is excessively tiresome. It will wear us out. Right, and we've got to remember that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Right, and that's a power that we cannot make up. That is a power we must depend on and remember. Right, but again, it's this process of remembering that can become a little difficult. Right, because often we don't have anything to remember. We can't recount an encounter we had with the Holy Spirit. Right, and so I, I asked myself this question, and I want you to ask yourself this question too. It's this. When was the last time I saw the Holy Spirit work in or around me? Ask yourself that question. When was the last time I saw the Holy Spirit work in or around me? Because if you were like me, that's a little bit of a wake-up call. Right, because I would say that, that, that many of us here we don't need any more knowledge about the Spirit in terms of filling our head with information. Right? Well, what we need is experiential knowledge of His presence and power and work in our lives. That's what we need. Right? So then we say, well, how do you do that? Right? How do you begin to experience the Holy Spirit? And again, I have some thoughts on that. Right? But perhaps you need to put yourself in a position where you will fall flat on your face if the Holy Spirit does not show up to take the credit. Or maybe you just need to take some God-inspired risks. 
Maybe you need to do something like adopt some kids. Maybe, maybe you need to quit your job or start a job. Or maybe you just need to put your heart in the job that you're currently in. Right? Maybe the Spirit's been telling you to invite a friend to church and you keep ignoring the Spirit because you don't want to have that conversation. Right? Maybe you can't afford your rent from month to month, but the Holy Spirit is urging you to give and to give and to give and you just don't think that that's going to work. Maybe the, the Holy Spirit, right, he, he, he keeps getting on your case and you're like, would you just tell me what's next in my life? But the Holy Spirit wants you to respond to what's now in your life before he'll give you the next. Right? Or maybe, just maybe, you need to pray for more of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's what you need to do because that's what I started doing. I started praying for more of the Holy Spirit in my life. And a couple weeks after I had been awakened to this idea that I was neglecting the Holy Spirit in my life, wouldn't you know it, the Holy Spirit invaded my life. Right? At the end of July, I spoke to a large group of high school students at a conference in Billings. And I knew months and months and months in advance that I would be speaking there. So I spent a lot of time, I worked hard to prepare a message that I thought God would want me to speak and that I thought students would want to hear. Right, and so I got to Billings, and I, and I was hanging out with my friend who was putting on the conference, and it was about two nights before I would speak, and I was just pumped up. Like, I was ready to go. I felt like a million bucks. I was like, this is the message that they need to hear. Right, and then I went to bed. And then, at 2 a.m., I awoke with this voice in my head. It was the Holy Spirit answering my prayers, albeit very inconveniently, right, and and so I felt the Holy Spirit telling me I needed to, to change my message. I needed to, to scrap that one that I had worked so hard and practiced so hard. And I needed to do a completely new message, you know, because I was speaking in a day. And, and so my, my response to the Holy Spirit was not exactly uh, godly. It wasn't exactly godly. And, it, and this is what I said to the Holy Spirit. I said, Holy Spirit because that's his name. I said, I said, Holy Spirit, if you really want me to change my message completely, will you please just ask me when my alarm goes off? I, I really said that, right? And, and, and you might laugh now, but that's because you have yet to pray that prayer and be woken up in the middle of the night, right? It will happen. But thankfully, thankfully, I did not keep neglecting the Holy Spirit. Instead, Right, I, I prayed and I sweated through a brand new message for the next few hours. And, and a day, day and a half later, when I spoke to those students, I knew I was saying exactly what I needed to say. Exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted me to say. And it's little experiences like that. Little encounters like that that allow us to answer the question, when was the last time I saw the Holy Spirit work in or around me? And hopefully we can begin to answer that question with maybe a sly little smile as we think back on the sleep we missed that night. Or maybe we'll look back in great awe at the power of the Holy Spirit as he was moving in our lives when we were no longer inhibiting and neglecting his work. Right, and so... That's what this is about, right? Engaging and embracing the gift of the Holy Spirit. It, 
these encounters, they may be inconvenient, but they are absolutely worth it. There's a reason that Jesus gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So my hope and my prayer is that we no longer suppress that, but that we embrace him and his spirit. Right now we're going to have an awesome opportunity to hear from our friend Doug Hartsheim. He's going to come up and he's going to share with us some of the work that the Holy Spirit has done in his life and is continuing to do in his life. So would you please just welcome Doug to the stage. Pretty cool to have him leading student ministries, isn't it? And Kate, amen. And his wife, Kate, is in here somewhere sitting with some students, I think she said. Wave at us, Kate. Where are you? She's probably trying to be obscure. But, uh, man, we love you, Chris, not just for the students, but how you influence all of us. So they asked me if I would share my testimony and, and uh, kind of my story on life. And I think it's probably in many ways a lot like some of yours, probably not like many others. But uh, the fact is we all have a story. And there's, in all stories, there's a beginning, middle, and end. And uh, uh, so I guess I'm somewhere in the middle. And the real question becomes, are we going to write that story by ourselves, or are we going to let the King of Kings have some authorship? And, some, and will we give him complete control in every corner of our heart? And for me, you know, I think as I grew up, I knew about God. I certainly knew of God, but I really didn't know him closely and had never really yielded to him uh, as I moved through all the elementary years and junior high and high school. In fact, uh, I was telling him the other day, we, we watched, two nights ago, we watched this uh, Sandlot movie. Kids brought this movie home. And you know those boys riding their bikes all over town and playing baseball? Uh, that was us. I mean, we just, we had tons of freedom. And love, I love baseball and basketball. Those were the, that was a big part of our life. My house backed right up to the high school, so I practically grew up on those fields over there. And, uh, you know, we were, my, Margo and I were talking about that, the city, the, the scene at the swimming pool, you know, and the plunge. And we both had a, you know, we grew up in the same city, and there was a plunge there, and we grew up, took swimming lessons there. And I was saying the only thing I didn't have figured out is I didn't fake like I was drowning, so the pretty lifeguard gave me mouth to mouth <laughs> but uh but that movie was so much the way it was for us so as I got up into junior high and high school that freedom I think worked against me and uh you know started yielding to temptation and of course a lot of partying and drinking and uh, living for myself uh, without regard for God and his perfect plan for me and uh I noticed there's a lot of the kids are back. We're glad to see you back. How about a hand for the college kids today? Awesome. How many are here today that are returning to Montana State? How many kids we got here today coming back to school? Raise them high. Well, we're glad you're here. Journey loves you guys, and we exist here for you. And, and uh, if you're saying goodbye to your student today, I think some of us have been there, and we know that's not easy. But my prayer is in this little part of the service that, that some of the stuff that I share with you about the, those days in my life will help you navigate this next season in your life. Uh, I'd gotten through high school, and as a senior, or working my way through high school, and as I was a senior, uh, down in Orange County, California, was really where the Jesus movement started in the 70s. And a couple of the gals in high school had gone there, and I remember as a senior, this girl named Sarah uh, came to me, and she said, Hey, Doug, 
I got to ask you a question. I said, you know, fire away. Uh, she was a pretty cute girl, and I thought maybe this could lead to something. And she said, <laughs> she said, you know what? If you died tomorrow, where do you think you'd spend eternity? So it wasn't exactly what I was thinking, but I, I, I knew <laughs> enough that I could, I knew the answer wasn't going to be a good one. I was honest with her. I said, well, Sarah, I probably, I probably wouldn't make it. I'd probably go to hell. And so I think she invited me to a Bible study and yeah, I didn't really like that. It was a little too mushy sitting in a circle, but I didn't, it was okay, but it wasn't for me right then. And not too long after that, some other uh, gals were going down to Calvary on a Wednesday or Thursday night or something and asked me if I wanted to go along. And they all, all these people, we all hung out in a big crowd. You know how that is. And so I went with them and that was what is now the bookstore, bookstore at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. It was a building probably not quite as big as this, but it was just basically a room full of hippies, barefoot, and uh, Jesus was just all over it, and great testimonies, and people getting saved right and left, and Chuck Smith was the preacher, and it was an awesome night. But it still, for me, I didn't make a commitment that night, although some of the people from our high school did. And uh, so I got out of high school, that next year, I kind of, Margo was a year younger than me, still is, and uh, so she still had to finish out, and we dated a little bit, and then after Christmas, started dating a little more, and I started going to her church with her, and um, it was then, in that period, that I think God really started to get a hold of me through, her, through Margo and her family. See, Margo was a part of that crowd in high school. But she had maintained her values, and she had a lot of fun. She was in the mix, uh, cheerleading, what, what all the stuff you do in high school. But she hadn't ever compromised her values. And it really uh, was a lightning rod for me, and, and it made a difference, and I noticed that. And so uh, as we moved on towards Easter, during the Easter week, her and her family, her, pretty much her and her mom, invited me to go to an Easter musical at a church down the street. And I said, well, yeah, I'll go if my buddy John would go. I knew there was no chance John would go to this thing. You know, he was, he was a diehard. In fact, he, was, he uh, claimed to be an atheist. And uh, so I called John, and they're standing right there in Margo's kitchen. I remember the phone on the wall and right there. I remember dialing the number, hoping John would just say no. And, you know, true to form, John said, well, there's no chance I'm going to that with you guys, Doug. You know, see ya. And uh, I said, well, John's not going. So I'm probably not going to be able to go with you. But uh, they kept pestering me and uh, bugging me that night. And so I reluctantly went. And it was at that night that uh, in the Easter season that this, this great story of God's love was presented. And I began to see myself separated from God, basically a train wreck, you know, living for myself, totally selfish, drunk probably every Friday and Saturday night if there was a party. And, uh, and I knew it wasn't right. I knew enough about God that, that, it was, that I was living wrongly. And, but the neatest thing of that whole musical it was the story of God's love and how it was being poured out to us and, and how he wanted to pour his life into us. But what, it was Jesus being portrayed on a cross that really was the deal for me. I just couldn't get over the fact that he loved me that much. That he would come to earth and take my sin on him and make a way for me to live this life for him. And, and most importantly, that he had a plan for me. Because I didn't have a very good plan. My plan wasn't working all that well. And uh, so I'll never forget to this day seeing Jesus portrayed on that cross 
And uh, it, was, it was the difference maker that evening. And um, so at the end of that service, when that preacher said, Are there anybody, is there anyone here that would like to change the course of their life, that would like to invite Christ in and let him have complete control? If so, you know, pray with us and then raise your hands. So we're going to be doing that here later this morning. But it was just so easy for me. My hand shot up straight. It was the absolute best decision I've ever made in my life. How could an 18-year-old ever know the long-term impact of that? You know, I, I couldn't. I, I, know, I had no idea what it would do in our marriage and for the lives, in the lives of my four children and other people that I would meet along the way. But I knew I needed God, and I knew a life apart from God wasn't working. And so that was the beginning of a long walk. That was about 37 years ago. And, uh, you know, shortly after that, uh, Margot's mom and dad had a profound impact on me. And we just started, they started coaching me along in this faith walk. And like Chris was talking about, unless we get out on the edge, unless we get into a position that unless God shows up, we're going to fall flat. We're really, we're really just living a life of comfort. And uh, they've asked me to share a little bit about giving today as a part of my testimony. Derry asked me that, and he knows a little bit of the history. It's a bit awkward for me because I've never shared it publicly before, but I'll, I'll touch on some things because it was such a part of our foundational early lives as a, as a 17 and an 18-year-old. Uh, uh, I got saved, like I said, in, at Easter, and a couple weeks later, uh, they were having a building program thing at our church, and uh, the pastor said, uh, what well, was a Sunday morning? So I pledged I'd give $600 to this project. And uh, then that night we went back because we had a special speaker. And I just felt like I was telling me to round it up to $1,000. So I put another $400 on the card. And later that night, we were back at Margo's house, standing out in the driveway. And she says, uh, wasn't that neat how that one guy gave $600? And then at night he gave $400? I said... I thought you'd never say anything, you know, and it was just my little time to tell her, well, that was me, and uh, I hadn't felt comfortable telling her, but when she said that, I said, well, you know, Margo, that was me, and, and she gave me a big hug, and she was working as a waitress and had also given basically everything she had, and it was just one of those great times, and so early on, as teenagers, we were beginning to learn the joy of giving and trusting God, but mostly it was through her dad, who would share uh, scriptures with me, that uh, one of them in Malachi that many of you are familiar with that said, you know, will a man rob God? And the people said, well, how are we robbing you? And he says, by not bringing the tithes and offerings into the storehouse. He says, bring the, bring the tithes and offerings into the storehouse and I will pour out a blessing on you that there won't be room enough to hold. In fact, it says, test me and I will show you and then you just won't be able to contain it. So in those days, it was those kinds of scriptures and messages, we just heard a lot more of them publicly. And it really began to shape me. And uh, it said, uh, you know, Luke 6:38 said, you know, give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, uh, and running over. And so I, I started to take that literally, mainly because Margot's dad said, you know, Doug, you cannot give God. Just trust him and he'll give it all back to you and then some. So this became just kind of a way of life to us. We were married 18 months later and... Uh, I was at the ripe old age of 20, and she was getting to be an old lady at 19. And uh, we just, uh, we started out. And it's been a, just a journey and a faith walk ever since. And uh, a couple years later, we were having another building program at our church. We were building a big chapel. And 
it was one of those few times where I really felt that God was almost speaking audibly to me. It was just really weird. We went to a dinner one night, and there were six of us there, and I just wasn't engaged in the conversation. But I felt like God was telling us to sell our house. And uh, I was 22. She was, Margo was still one year younger than me. And, uh, uh, you know, I, it, we'd been in our house six or eight months. I don't know what it is. And I think I, if we sold it, I could give $10,000 to the church. And um, I called our pastor when we got home that night. And uh, he was actually with us that evening, but I hadn't said anything to him. And I said, hey, Reverend Hall, I, I just, sure as I'm sitting here, I think God's telling me to sell my house. And he said, you know, Doug, he's more concerned about your obedience. And through your obedience, he will, he'll reveal to you what it is he really wants you to do. And it might be to sell your house, but let's just see what happens. He was just back from 20 years on the mission field. He had, he had no money, but he knew a wealthy guy in Africa that lent him $20,000 for this same building project. And so, long story short, Margo and I uh, also got a loan from this guy who we never met, and we borrowed $15,000 from him. And so here we were, 22 years old, in debt, and uh, just trusting the Lord. But, and I'm not advocating that you all, all you young people run out and borrow money and give it to the church. I'm just saying, for us, at that time and place, God spoke to us, and it was a beautiful thing. And you know what? We paid that thing back in a year or two. We just worked hard, and God blessed us and poured it back in, and, and we never looked back. And so as we've gone through life, that's kind of the way we've just dialed in. It's almost a game that we play with God. I don't believe it's a game with Him. Uh, we've kind of looked at it that way, where we just trust Him, and we don't expect to get anything back because we're unworthy, and we are really nobody, and we are lost without Him. And we recognize the fact that He rescued us from a, a, a life of disaster. And I don't know, in your situation today, you know, you may not have a story, well, I, was, I wasn't a drunk, or I wasn't this, or I wasn't that. Maybe you're an analytical, and you just, you just can't yield up to God. You just can't give up a piece of your life. Maybe, maybe there's hurt or pain that's keeping you from that right relationship. And if that's the case, I'm suggesting that what Chris said today is extremely relevant. And that is, is that if we'll get out and take that step, first step towards God, see, he really is finding us. We're not finding him. He's all over us. And he, he's just your heavenly father that wants the very best. It's been interesting to me today. This is the third time I've heard Chris speak. And for the third time, I've seen his parents sit right here in the front row. And that just gets to me. And as I've watched kids play sports and soccer, I always appreciate the love and the affection and the investment of a mom and a dad. And, uh, and Chris was telling me yesterday that when he went off to college, I think in those four years, they only missed two or three games. I mean, that was in California and North Dakota, wherever, because they love their son. And how much more does our Heavenly Father love us? And he's in the front row. And he's eyeballing you right now. And he's saying, don't you see me? You see me on that cross? I gave everything I had for you. And I want to be fully engaged with you. And yet you give me a, just a corner of your life for a piece. You've got one foot in and one foot out. And he's saying, I want all of you. And I will help you navigate life. I'm going to have my son come up. He's one of our four kids. And, and he's going to play a song. And we're going to wrap up. But, you know, he didn't. He, I just asked Daniel to play a song. It's a song they used to play a few years ago, and he didn't know it, but I, was all, uh, I have this, I tricked him because I want to tell a story on him. When he was about 12, 
he always loved soccer and he loved music. And um, now he loves Myra. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he wanted a boombox. And in those days, the prices hadn't come down. This thing had a CD thing you could record on it. It was just all the gadgetry you could ask for. It was 150 or 60 bucks. And he had had a picture of it, and he had been saving for it, and had asked for one for Christmas. And Margo said, well, you know, that's... Uh, or he came to Margo later in the day on Christmas Day, and she said, how was... Did you have fun today? Was it good? And he goes, yeah, kind of wanted that boombox, but that's okay. And, you know, his birthday was three weeks later, and he... Uh, he got some money for that. I think Margot said it was like 80 or 90 bucks. And this, for the next several months, he kept saving for this thing. And uh, you can tell, tell we didn't like shower them with dollars and cents or gold coins. <laughs> he, it was a long road for Daniel to save up for that little thing. And, uh, and then long about May, a missionary speaker came to our church. And uh, a week or so later, I found out that uh, Daniel, who had been saving you know, all the way from Christmas till the end of May, he'd, get, he'd saved up about 120 bucks, and he'd given all of that to the missionary. So I thought that was awesome, you know, that's, that's what it's about. And about a week after that, we always had hosted golf tournaments down there every year, and uh, uh, my dad came down and visited, and lo and behold, he won first place. And up on the platform, there was these huge boxes up there on the stage. And like, we didn't go to that particular golf tournament because it was on a Sunday. There was four days of golf, and on a Sunday, we usually sit that one out. And then, but we all, my family and the kids were all little at the time. We went over there because the kids knew a lot of these guys, and it was just a kind of a fun thing. And so, uh, my dad wins first place, and Daniel's sitting about five feet from him. And the guy running the tournament comes over, and he sets this big old box, has a boom box in it, in my dad's lap. And my dad looks at it and says, I can't get that on the airplane. He said, Daniel, here, you love music. Why don't I just give it to you? And uh, this is just like two weeks later, you know, that he had given all that money to the deal, to the missionary deal. And then in like the next week or two at church, we had told our pastor about it, and he thought it was pretty cool, so he told the whole congregation. After church, about five or six people come up and started giving Daniel money. So he, <laughs> he made like 60 or 70 bucks to boot. And... Uh, but what a great lesson. Again, like Chris said, if we'll just take that step and get out on their edge, the Holy Spirit can do things. If we, if, we, uh, if we play it safe and conservative, it's just not going to happen. So today we're going to close with this song. And it's really involved with the story of our life and how involved Jesus Christ, God Almighty, is involved. How, how much we'll give of ourselves to Him. Will we be totally yielded? You know, you young people, you're going back to school, and there's going to be temptation all around. And uh, plenty of opportunities to stumble. And we all stumble. But it can be so much better. It could be our way or God's way. And it isn't going to go very smooth if we choose to hold on to things. If we just don't release and let God have His way with us we're all going to be headed for a train wreck. You know, a lot of my friends didn't make it. Some are, some are dead today. Others are alcoholics. But only by the grace of God did he find me and seek me out. You know, I think of Peter that Chris was talking about today. You know, Jesus called Peter and said, you're going to be called the rock. The other disciples must have laughed. This guy was a hothead. He vacillated. 
He was wishy-washy. He was anything but a rock. But Jesus saw him leading 3,000 people to the Lord one day when the Holy Spirit showed up. And that's the way it is for you and me. I was, a, I was just a youngster, out of control. But God said, you know, I got a better way for you if you'll just give me every corner of your life. And that's what he asked you today. So we're going to talk about your story and how you're writing it and if you're allowing God to write it in just a minute. And we'll have Daniel sing this piece. What do you have? What do you have? What do you have for us? This is what you have. This is what you have. A hope and a plan for us. Be Give him some freedom in our life right now. Lord, I pray for these young people here that in this next moment that you'd help them to make a commitment that runs deep, that'll last for years. I pray for some of the older group that you'll help us to get recommitted and to be involved at the level that you ask us to be involved. You might be here today with a lot of pain that you're dealing with maybe a broken relationship it might be a broken relationship with almighty God that you know you need to fix and you're sensing that he's gently calling you and that he is sitting in the front row watching your life play out and he wants to do something special and I'm asking you today and convinced that if you'll Put your faith in Jesus Christ. He will absolutely transform your life. He'll give you a new walk in a new way and a new perspective. He'll provide healing from the hurt and he'll provide release from what's got you down. And you'll go about tomorrow and the rest of the days of your life just pleased and happy to be both feet in to the kingdom. 
So I'm going to say a prayer, and I just ask that as I pray it, if all of us will just repeat it, and then we'll just we're going to move from that to a little time of commitment for those uh, that make a commitment today. But I'm asking that just like I did years ago, that when I ask you later to raise your hand and identify with Jesus Christ, that you'll take that step of faith and trust him like I did 37 years ago. And he will be so faithful to you. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for the perfect plan you have for me. I need your help. I'm sorry, Lord, for sinning against you. Please forgive my sin. Please come into my heart and live your life inside of me. Go with me. Protect me. Give me confidence. And help me to live my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, with your heads down and your eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer today, maybe for the first time, and you feel like this is your day, like it was my day years ago, and you want to start walking for Him, and you just committed to Him, will you just raise your hand and so I can see that, so we can pray with you? Raise them high. If you've recommitted, and if you've just come to a point where you need to recommit in your life, let's see Him. Thank you. In the back, here in the middle there by the camera all around right up here in the front so important that you know that we are your friends here at journey and we want to walk through life with you thank you much brian's going to come up daniel's going to finish that song out but god bless you all thanks thanks so much doug i'm just going to ask that you'd move back into a posture of prayer and listening to the lord Daniel's going to lead us through this song a couple more times in just a second. And for me, what I take away from today, from hearing from Chris and hearing from Doug, is what God can do when we say yes to him. When we just say yes, yes, I'm going to follow out the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to any longer neglect the voice of the Holy Spirit, whether it's in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to say yes to God through his Holy Spirit power of what God can do in our lives when we just yield and submit and say yes is quite remarkable. God's done amazing things in the life of Doug and his family, and it's sure fun to hear about that today. And he wants to do the exact same kind of thing in your life, in my life, in all of our lives. But we've got to say yes. So would you, as you worship in this song, would you just use the lyrics in this song as a way of saying yes to God. Yes, I want you to be the author of my story. I don't want to write my own story. God, I want to be in smack dab in the middle of your story. So let's worship together. You can stand to your feet if you're so inclined. You can stay seated. Let's sing the song again. Sing this little statement with me. What do you have for us? This is what you have. This is what you have. A hope and a plan. This is what you have. This is what you have. A hope and a plan for us. All right, we're going to sing the second verse of this song here. 
astounded. Astounded, astounded that your gospel beckoned me. actually freeing for us. Determined, oh, determined now to live this life for you. You're so worthy. My greatest gift will be the least your due. This will be Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen.